If you have your Bibles with you, could you please turn to the book of Acts chapter 16? Acts chapter 16. While you're turning there, let me just uh, first uh, ask. Last week was a, a Sunday. We had Teen Challenge with us. We had Chris McFadden from Teen Challenge. Um, if you were here last week, could you just slip your hand up to say that you had an opportunity to see? Were you encouraged by, by those guys coming last week and the testimonies? Were you? Good, good, good. I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> I want to share something with you briefly just because I've heard it from Chris multiple times, and I want you to know that just it represents well from the church. Um, Chris has been here now twice, and he told me both times, he said, uh, coming to Bridge, he goes, I feel more encouraged coming here than a lot of places I visit. And he said, so I want to say thank you for really supporting the ministry of Teen Challenge. It's very encouraging because we don't just support them um, by inviting them to come. Uh, When the guys come, we encourage them. We buy some of the things at their table, and uh, they always get a very, very good lunch that's put on by some of the people here at the church. So I just want to thank uh, Pauline and Terry Johns. I want to thank um, uh, Jan and, and, uh, excuse me, Jan and Jayla Bourgeois and the Thomases, they were all involved in that. So thank you guys for being willing to give. Uh, it was more food than twice the amount of people could have eaten. Um, and those guys had a hearty appetite, so we wanted to say thank you to that. But I also wanted to say thank you. You know, we receive our tithes and offerings every year. Uh, we determine how much money we can give to the work of missions, and that's based off of a tithe of what we get in our general offering. We give 10% of everything that comes in to the church to ministries. Uh, we support Teen Challenge every year. Uh, We've supported them about $200 a year for the last number of years. This year, we increased it to $500 because of the work that they're doing. And I want to just say thank you for you guys to continuing to support the ministry of Teen Challenge. We give them $500 a month, and we continue to do that because of the need that's there. I'm not happy that there's 2,000 people that they're reaching. Um, I'm happy that they're meeting a need, but I'm not happy that the need is there, if that makes sense. But I am happy that there are people that see the need and are willing to meet it in a practical way. They've grown their budget from $4 million to $12 million in just under four years, which is because they have such a great need to help people in our, in our community and in our world. So thank you for being a part of that, and thank you for continuing to give. Excuse me. Don't eat a piece of chocolate before you have to speak. That's a good lesson. It's good for your circulatory system and gives you some sugar, but it's not good for your throat. So you're in Acts chapter 16. Excuse me. Acts chapter 16. And uh, we are looking at a message today. It's an off message. It's not part of our series. And it's just called um, Live the Message. It's just a single message in preparation for what we're going to do today. And it's called Live the Message. And it's relating to evangelism and sharing our faith. I think if you ask believers... Christians, what one of the biggest things is that they struggle with, um, sharing their faith is high up on the list. People wrestle with the idea of talking to others about their faith and what they believe. Uh, They wrestle sometimes with wondering if they'll have the right answers, if they know what to say, if they quote the right verses. And there's a lot of pre-understandings, a lot of assumptions that go into the idea of what it means to share your faith. Um, Thinking about that, I wanted to present something this morning for us to think about and hopefully to challenge us on the way that we're supposed to share our faith. Uh, And that's why I called the the message today, Live the Message. The message is referring to our faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, And if I can say it another way, I would just say it this way. The best way to see people give their lives to Jesus is to live a life that is given to Jesus. And I'm convinced of that, that in our world today, if we really want to be an effective witness... It's not just in what we say, it's how we live. It's not just in what we know, it's about who we know and how we let him change us. 
So I really believe the best way to see people give their lives to Jesus, because that's really what it is when we're talking about making a decision to follow Christ. It's not filling out a card, checking a box, raising your hand, and living your life the way you want to live it. When we choose to give our lives to Jesus, we're actually saying that you are the Lord of my life. You are the boss of my life. I heard one pastor say years ago, it's like taking the, the, the tag that we all wear on our, on our chests, these, these big stickers that say like CEO, and, uh, and, and taking it off of our chest and putting a new tag on that says Jesus on it, that we are no longer the, the boss of our lives, but Jesus is the boss of our lives, and he's the Lord of our life. That's what it means, that we believe in the work that he did on the cross for our sin. We believe that he died, and our faith in his work is what saves us. And as a result, we choose to follow him. That's why we talk a lot about following Jesus. That's why our mission as a church is about helping people thrive by finding and following Jesus. It's about learning to know him and about growing in relationship. But when we talk about evangelism, sometimes we, we divorce the two ideas many times. We talk about sharing our faith is what we can tell someone, when really it's not just about what we tell them, it's about how we live. And that's why I think it's so important for us to talk about this today. Because, like I said, the best way to see people give their lives to Jesus, to choose to follow Jesus, if you will, is for us to live lives that are given to Jesus, that follow Jesus. People learn from what we do, not necessarily what we say. If you don't believe that, look at your kids, (laughs) if you have kids. Uh, They don't necessarily learn from what you tell them. They learn by what you do sometimes. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's not a good thing. Um, But that's the point. So thinking about that today, I wanted to look at a scripture that I thought would illustrate this concept really well. And it would give us an opportunity to reflect on one example we see in scripture where followers of Christ lived the message. Um, And we're in Acts chapter 16. So I'm going to give you a little background of this, and then we're going to read what happened as a result. Um, In Acts chapter 16, we're going to start reading in verse 25 when we get there, but I want to give you a little bit of background. See, at this point in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's a follower of Jesus. This is the apostle Paul that would kill Christians, okay? He wasn't the apostle Paul before he killed Christians. He was Saul, and he killed Christians. He, he was passionate about the Old Testament law, about the Jewish faith, and he gave approval to those that persecuted those who followed Christ because they claimed Jesus was their Messiah, and the Jewish people don't believe that. So he was very um, passionate and zealous for the things of the Old Testament law. God got a hold of him in Acts chapter 9. We see he has this experience, and he, and he has these blinders put on him where the, the, the Jesus blinds him, and then he brings him into a town, and, and then he, his sight is restored to him as a man named Ananias prays over him, and now he goes from a man who is passionately opposed to the gospel to a man who is passionately embracing the gospel. And Paul is on a missionary journey. It's his second of three journeys, and he has with him a man by the name of Silas. They're both Roman citizens, and they're going to all these different towns and these cities teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, which is what gospel means. In a vision, Paul has this vision where he was preparing to go to one area and teach. He gets a vision, and in the vision, there's a man asking him to come help him and come to Macedonia. Macedonia is a region of the area that they lived in, and he said, okay, the Holy Spirit, in a vision, spoke to me and said, don't go where you're going. Go to Macedonia and help these people. So Paul and Silas are responding to a vision to go to Macedonia and teach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to these people in that region. In this area of Acts chapter 16, they're in a city by the name of Philippi. Yes, it is the same city that Paul writes a letter to later to the Philippians. It is the same city. And he's in Philippi, and they're walking around and they're talking to people about Christ. It said earlier in the chapter, it says they go to a place of prayer. 
Usually that would be the synagogue, but this city didn't have 10 Jewish men, so they couldn't form a synagogue. That was the rule. So they went to this place of prayer outside the city. And while they're there for a few days, there's this slave girl that's walking around and following them wherever they go. She's a fortune teller. And the scripture says that she has a spirit in her where she can actually divine the future for people and she can um, speak futuristic fortune-telling truths to people and they do it for money. And she's owned by someone that uses this skill of this girl to make money. And while they're going around teaching and they're speaking about the, the good news of Christ and doing you know, all of these things, this girl is following them around and the spirit continues to declare that Paul and Silas are servants of the Most High God. And I think that alone is hysterical because the spirit that's in her is not a good spirit, it's an evil spirit. And I think that's just a good reminder at that point that every spirit has to submit to the authority of Christ. Let's just be reminded of that first. They might claim to have different powers, and there is the spirit realm where there's different powers, and they have different abilities and strengths. But ultimately, people have said, how come you don't see so much demonic activity in the Old Testament as you see in the New Testament? Well, The scriptures say in the New Testament that God walked with man in the flesh. And Jesus, though he was 100% man, he was also 100% God. And what you start to see is these demonic um, encounters where the presence of God in the flesh approaches these demons and they say, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And he's like, shut up. And they always have to like leave every time he does that. And I think that's awesome because he's reminding them and he should be reminding us that everything submits to the power of Christ. So, Paul's walking around, this girl is declaring all these things, and Paul's getting fed up with it because it's, it's distracting at a time. They're not saying it, you know, she's not saying it to be an encouragement, it's a distraction, and Paul's getting ticked off about it. So earlier in Acts 16, at some point, three days into it, he looks at the, the girl, speaks to the spirit, and says, come out of her, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And the spirit leaves. And when the spirit leaves, her ability to predict the future leaves. And when her ability to predict the future leaves... Her owner's ability to make money leaves. And you can imagine where this is going. So they're not too happy about that. And the owner takes Paul and Silas. It says they grab a hold of them and they drag them into the center area where the magistrates are. These are the officials in the city. And they start promoting all of these negative things and accusing them of all these negative things. And they say about Paul and Silas, they're saying, these guys are stirring up our people and they're making them do things and challenging them to do things that are outside of what the Roman government's telling them to do. So... Paul and Silas get spoken to sternly. They get beaten and they get thrown into prison. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And remember, they're in prison right now. They're in an inner cell. It's dark. It's moldy. It's stinky. It's gross. They are not just in chains. They're in wooden stocks, which means their feet are bundled up, and they're locked down, and their hands are up against the wall, chained to the wall behind them, and they're praying and they're singing to God. Suddenly, verse 26, there was a sudden, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out, and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his family. This is a great picture of two men that lived the message of the gospel. And I want to explain what I mean by that. I think there are three principles that we see in the way that they navigated this situation that if we would apply them to our lives, we would be more effective than we are today in sharing our faith with others. And I want to show them to you briefly. So the first one is this. How do we live the message? God's plan may not be your plan. We need to remember that God's plan may not be your plan. Make it personal. God's plan may not be my plan. Now, most of the time, we have planners in this room, I'm sure. Who are the people in this room? Don't, you don't have to stand up and share. I know you want to. That, that put lists together, that love to check things off. Who are the list people? Who are our list people? Look at that. The people are raising their hands, are getting dirty looks by the people next to them. Because they know that they don't just make lists for themselves. They make lists for the person next to them as well. Right? They call those honeydew lists, right? Or whatever they want to call those. Or, you know this is my way list or whatever. Lists are wonderful. They give you excitement. They give you endorphins. Sometimes you just make lists to make lists. Well, we are all about making lists. Every person in this room makes lists. You may not write your list down, but sometimes the list is in the form of an expectation. Lists are like expectations, not just things to do, but things that you expect to happen. And in this situation, the plan that Paul and Silas had didn't look like God's plan. And here's what I mean by that. Remember, they were in Philippi preaching the gospel. Through a dream, they obediently went to preach the gospel to people in Philippi, which is in the region of of Macedonia. And they find themselves beaten, right? Thrown in prison, and really without any ability to take care of themselves right now. They're in a whole heap of trouble, and they're beat up, and they're not doing real well, and it stinks, and it's dark, and it's gross. And in a dream that God gave Paul, they responded, and this is what their circumstances turned out to be. Now, I don't know about you, but my expectations don't usually look like that. And if I were Paul or Silas, I would be willing to bet that being beaten and thrown into prison was probably not something that they expected to happen the way that it happened, especially since they were both Roman citizens. Now, Philippi was part of the Roman Empire, which means you don't beat Roman citizens. You don't imprison Roman citizens without legitimate reason. You don't do those things. They're citizens. They didn't do that to people that were Roman citizens. There had to be specific reason, and they had to go through a trial to be able to actually get that, for that to happen. So I don't believe it was probably part of the expectation that they had, and yet it still happened. I'm sharing this because it's not uncommon for us to go through situations in life, things that we believe God tells us to do, maybe experiences or opportunities God asks us to be a part of, and we have an expectation of what the plan's supposed to look like. God asked me to take this step, and we fill in the blanks, and we take the next two or three or four steps and fill in those steps and say, well, God, you're asking me to do this, therefore I can expect this, this, and this. And sometimes our expectations don't align with God's plan. And maybe we find ourselves saying, God, you called us here, but it doesn't look like the way it was supposed to look. 
And that's a real place that many times we live. I know that's a real place that I live sometimes. I have many stories that I could share, and you don't need to hear them all today because we'd never leave. But there's a lot of things that we probably could share this morning where when we say we're doing the thing that God is asking us to do, when we do it, the plan doesn't always pan out the way we expected it to. You with me? Does it make sense? This is, this is where a lot of people live, and this is part of what it means to live the message. This is where I believe Paul and Silas were, finding themselves in jail, dirty, beaten, stinky. And he's like, I can imagine in the beginning where they were all beaten and bruised up, and they're like, I had a vision. And in the vision, the Holy Spirit told us to go here, and now we're in jail. How do you respond when the things that are happening to you around you don't match up with your expectations? What kind of life message do you give? What kind of life message do I give? It's important for us to question that and to ask the question. What's really important, though, is to say what we're going to do about it. And how do we respond when God's plan doesn't look like ours plan? And that's the second point I want to mention briefly this morning. God's plan may not be your plan, but to live the message, the second thing we need to do is to trust God when the plan changes. We need to be able to trust God when the plan changes. Or again, if we can make it personal, trust God when my plan changes. I'm really good at writing things down and saying what I think should happen. If I take this step for God, then I expect this to happen. If I take this step for God, then I expect this to happen. And many times, it doesn't always work that way. But I have to always be reminded of something which is really important. Nothing takes God by surprise. Just think about that with me just for a moment. Nothing takes God by surprise. When we follow him and things suddenly don't make sense, God is not shocked. He doesn't change his mind. The scriptures say that he doesn't shift like sand. He doesn't make his, his mind up to do this thing. And then he says, you know what? That sounded like it. if you went this way instead, I would have done this. But, you know, I've changed my mind. I'm just going to throw the whole thing up in a mess and, and let's see what happens. God doesn't do that. He says, no, none of these things take me by surprise. He's God. And sometimes a detour in God's road or our road is a plan that God has because there's a purpose that he wants to use us in something that we can't necessarily see. These are not nice little box, tightened up little answers that we can make. You can't always box these things up into perfect little responses. Just because something happens a certain way, it doesn't always mean God has a purpose for it. What it does mean is he can make a purpose for it. Because when it says in Romans eight twenty eight that God uses all things together for the, those, for the good of those who love him, it doesn't always mean that every difficult thing in our life was God's intention it means he'll take every difficult thing and he'll use it for his good. And there's a difference. So we have to trust God when our plan changes. I think Paul and Silas's plan changed. I think they didn't expect to be thrown into prison, especially, like I said, because they had the Roman citizen card they could have thrown out. They could have played that card if they wanted to, but what did they do? They trusted God when their plans changed. What did they specifically do? The scripture said they prayed and they sang hymns to God at 12 o'clock in the morning when all the prisoners were listening. And if I would venture a guess, they were all probably trying to sleep. But they're singing at 12 o'clock in the morning in chains in a stinky, dark prison. That doesn't sound like the kind of response that I would naturally want to respond with. Make sense? Anybody with me on that? Even when, especially, and this is what amazes me, they had the ability to get themselves out if they wanted to because they were Roman citizens. They had their little get-out-of-jail-free card. 
We have any Monopoly players here? Any Monopoly people? You know who I am? Monopoly? Yeah? Some of you are like, don't even go there. <laughs> I love Monopoly. I love beating people in Monopoly. My brother-in-law and I would play many years ago when my wife and I first got married, and she would just disconnect from the game because it wasn't just about who could win. It was like who could humiliate each other. You know, you don't have enough money, so I need to take it from everybody else. I need more. And then, you know, when you have all the money and all the hotels and all the houses and all that, you know, you can just just stick it to them, you know, and it's fun, you know, (laughs) That's, that's perverted, isn't it? It's warped. But some of you know what I'm talking about. It's just healthy competition, and we love people in Jesus' name as we just, just decimate their people, their, their, their properties. But it was like, a, you know, you get that get-out-of-jail-free card, and you go to jail, man, you pull it out at just the right time, right? You strategically pull it out at just the right time. These guys had a get-out-of-jail-free card in their wallets, in their pockets, and they could have pulled it out if they wanted to and say, we don't need to be in jail. We don't need to be beaten. You know what? We're Roman citizens. Why are you doing this to us? And we know that that's the case because after when they get out, Paul doesn't leave quietly. He actually makes them have the leaders come back to them and go, what right did you have to do that? We're Roman citizens. And they were like, we didn't even know you were Roman citizens. Can you just please leave quietly? We don't want people to know that we did this to our own people. And Paul's like, I'm not leaving quietly. You guys are going to come and address us directly. He would have ticked off so many people today. He just didn't do anything politically correct. He was just like, this is the truth. Here are the facts. So we know that he could have responded differently. But what was Paul's choice? His choice when his expectations were different than the reality, was to trust God. Silas's choice was to trust God. Can I tell you, that is an incredible way to live the message of Jesus Christ today. Because life has a lot of hurt. Life has a lot of pain. There's a lot of things that I have experienced and I will continue to experience that I'll never be able to box up in a pretty little package with an answer. I can't. But I can always trust God. I can always say, though I don't understand, I can still trust God. And this is the challenge, especially in the Christian church that we live in today. I was talking to a friend this week just how dangerous this is, that we either run to God or we run from God. We run to God when things don't make sense or we run from God when things don't make sense. And we live in a society right now and a culture that is telling us a message that says, you are the priority you matter. We have the American op- the opportunity to pursue the American dream, which is everything that we want to pursue. And we've associated blessing with stuff. Blessing and stuff become synonymous in our culture. When you know you are doing well, when you have lots of things. That's what our, our society is telling us. It is a large message, and we're watching our young people and our children hear this message from the time they're young. They're growing into their teens and into their later teens, and they grow into their 20s, and something is disconnected with their faith because somehow the American model of Christianity has become... The, the Christianity has been twisted with an American model of the American dream where now being blessed by God means that things will always go right. Or being blessed by God means that you will always get stuff. That's what the prosperity gospel is about in our culture. Follow Jesus and you will get more. Follow Jesus and you will have more. God will give you the next level, the next promotion, the next increase, the next bank. And there's some truth in God giving blessings to his people. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it's not transferable across every culture of our world to say following Jesus gives you stuff. Try that message in a third world country where people barely have anything to eat. 
Try that in North Korea where people are persecuted for their faith. It doesn't translate. And it's not the right message. The message that we need to be speaking to people is that the blessing is that in the, in the, the high moments and in the mountaintops, the blessing is you can know God. In the hurt and the disappointment and the pain and the grief, you can know God. And when we can know God when we're feeling high or when we know God when we're feeling low, we can always know God. That is the blessing that God has given us. So when Jesus says in this world you'll have trouble, take heart, I've overcome the world, he's not saying you can't have good things or you can't have, bad, have, have blessings that are tangible. He's saying that's not the point. I've overcome the world, meaning I am with you whether things are great or things are hard. I am with you when you're joyful. I'm with you when, you're sor- when you experience sorrow. I am always with you. You can trust God when the plans change. And this is a message that we need to rethink and plant in the hearts of people and model it by the way we live, not by what we say. Because we watch young people become teenagers, become 20-somethings, and they'll say things like, I prayed and I asked God, and I prayed and I asked God, and it didn't happen. So why would I want to serve God? It didn't happen. And they walk away from the church. They walk away from Christianity or a relationship with God because I've asked and I've sought. And sometimes the things we ask for, just say it so cautiously, but it's true. Sometimes the things we ask for are good things. Is it a bad thing to ask God to heal someone that we love? Of course not. Is it a bad thing to ask God to help us get to that next step or to... to, um, to to deal with a stronghold in our life that we were wrestling with? Of course not. Why sometimes does it not happen the way we want it to happen? I don't know. But what I do know is that if we're not careful, we associate failed expectations with failed God. And that's not true. We can trust God when our plans change. We can trust God when we're high, and we can trust God when we're low. Paul understood this, Silas understood this, and they did this in a powerful way. So trust God when your plan changes. That's the way you can live the message. The last thing I want to mention briefly is simply this. Respond to God's plan by loving people God's way. If we're going to live the message, we have to remember first that God's plan may not be my plan. I have to be willing to trust God when my plan changes. Continue to honor him. Continue to worship him. Continue to obey him. And follow him. Why? Because God's not surprised. But the most important thing I think after that is the what we how we respond. We need to respond to God's plan, the plan He shows us by loving people God's way. You know what's so awesome about the story that we talked about? The earthquake. It says in the scripture there was an earthquake and and it rattled the prison and all of the chains fell off the walls. They were freed of their chains and all the doors flew open. And then the jailer woke up. And when he woke up, he saw all the doors open and he was ready to kill himself. Why? Because in that context, if the guard or the jailer lets prisoners free, the jailer loses his life. That's the concept, the context. Guard these people with your life. You know what that means? It means if they get away, you die. So he looks at all these doors that are open as he he puts the torches up and he looks at the lights and he's getting ready to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 wait a minute. We're all here. And this is what I think is so powerful. The miracle of the earthquake didn't draw the jailer to God. What drew him to God was the act of love that Paul and Silas gave to him. Because they had the ability to live. They had the ability to be free. But they chose to love him exactly where he was. And what did he need more than anything else in that moment? He needed those people to be there. 
or else his life would be taken. See, it wasn't the miracle of the, of the earthquake that saved him. It was the absolute power of love to love people exactly where they are and meet the need exactly where they are. Many of you have heard people say this before. That's true. People don't care what you know unless they know that you care. And that's very true. We, we struggle sometimes with this idea of speaking and teaching about evangelism and sharing our faith. And we wonder, will we have the right scriptures or the right verses? You know, will we know how to speak and how to correctly come up and navigate the right way to theologically convince someone of who God is? And, and there's a place for that. There has to be. Paul says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And he's not just saying just anecdotally. He's saying, be studied, show yourself approved so you know the word of God. But ultimately, it's not about what we know. It's about how we love. Ultimately, it's not about what we know. It's about how we love. It's the power of servant evangelism. The gospel is not just a message to be delivered. It's a lifestyle that you and I are called to model. And we're motivated by love for the person in need. Why? Because Jesus was always motivated to love people exactly where he was. There's a story in the gospels where he speaks to a Samaritan woman at the well. Can I tell you, before the Samaritan woman and all the people of the city ever believed in him as the Messiah, Jesus spoke to her. You say, why is that significant? Because Jews didn't speak to Samaritans. It was unacceptable to speak. Jews were pure and Samaritans were unclean. They were a hybrid of Jews and non-Jews. And she was a woman, which made it even worse. Jews didn't associate with non-Jews. But he saw her for where he was. He loved her right where he was. And that brought her to him. There's another story in the Gospels where Jesus spoke and he healed a leper. And before the leper was ever healed, Jesus touched him, the story says. Why is that significant? Because lepers weren't touched by anyone. Anywhere they went, because it was a contagious skin disease, they had to announce publicly from a distance they were unclean. Could you imagine that? Imagine it this way. We wouldn't do it to the same extreme, but if you came in, you didn't take a shower today. And every person that walked into the doors this morning didn't take a shower today. You walked in, you'd be like, didn't shower, didn't shower. I stink, I smell, don't hug me, I smell. Right? We think that sounds silly and funny, right? How about if you were with an illness that was contagious and no one was allowed to come near you? You could never experience the touch of someone's hand or the hug of somebody who loves you. Can I tell you, before Jesus ever healed the leper, he touched him and he met him right where he was. Before Zacchaeus, a tax collector who stole from all these people, who was the filth of his people, a traitor to all of the Jews. Before Zacchaeus repaid everyone he stole from, four times the amount he stole, Jesus ate with him. He had a meal at his house. What did he do? He met him right where he was, and he said, it matters for me to know and for you to know that I see you as someone of value that I met the need, and Zacchaeus had an identity problem that Jesus met. Can I tell you, the same applies for us today as well. Before Jesus gave up his spirit as he hung on that cross, he looked at the Father and he thought of every one of us. And before he ever died on that cross and gave up his spirit, he asked God to forgive us for what we didn't even know. Why? Because he saw the need. He saw the need that we had before he did the work that he finished. Jesus always knew what each person needed before they crossed the line of faith. And this is important for us because we are called today 
to preach the good news, but not just to preach it with our words. We're called to live the good news with our lives. And the best way to see people give their lives to Jesus today is to live a life that is given to Jesus. We do it with our lives. So the world asks us, is the gospel message worth sharing? Everyone around us, this is a message that's in our culture, Christianity. Is the gospel a message worth sharing? And my response to that is, are our lives sharing a message worth watching? Is the gospel worth sharing? Is the gospel worth telling? Do we really want to hear this message? And I would say, look to myself and say, well, is my life telling a message that's worth watching? Because if it's not, there's really no power in my words. So we respond today by not just letting God's plan be his plan. We respond today by not just trusting God when the plan changes, but we respond by loving people God's way. Sometimes at the end of a service, we close a service by singing over a song. We're going to do something a little, or we invite people up for prayer. We have altar people to, to share and to be praying over each other. We're going to do something a little different today. Some of you may be looking at your watches and saying like, wow, are we wrapping up? This is like a half an hour early. That never happens when Pastor Paul speaks. And you'd be right. That doesn't ever happen. I just have the disease. I don't know what to say. But we aren't actually closing our service. We're going to respond today in a different way. You see, every year for the last eight or nine years, we've been doing boxes of love in our church. And we've been watching this continue to have an impact in our community. And you may have noticed that there are tables out there that are all set up with top box tops and all kinds of decorations and everything. The way that we're going to respond to this message today is to live the message. We're going to encourage each one of you to make a decision today to say, you know what, whether I'm a regular attender or I'm a partner in the church or maybe it's my first Sunday that I'm here, I want to partner with people in our community today and make a difference by just decorating box tops today. These boxes of love that we do are large boxes. Some of you are familiar with them. Others you're not. But they're large box tops. Here's one of the boxes that was decorated this morning. Isn't this nice? They did a good job. It looks really nice. And this folds up, and then the box gets put together and filled with all this food that people can use to feed a family in the community. And what started with 20 boxes over eight years ago has now grown to over 250 boxes that now have six churches partnering and nine different elementary schools and three different locations of the North Penn Boys and Girls Club. And I'm sharing this with you this morning because years ago we looked for ways to communicate and to partner with our community. Different outreaches, different events, let's do this, let's do that. Does it work? Does it not work? And then we stumbled across this idea of helping people and not just feeding people in the community, but working alongside people in the community that work alongside people. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, I don't do anything in my own strength. I just see what the Father's doing and I join him. And I think that's what we were doing. So we went to the North Penn Boys and Girls Club. We told them what we were looking to do. And they gave us the response that they would be willing to partner with us. You see, our plan wasn't God's plan. We came up with all these ideas on what we could do years ago and it didn't really work. We started doing this and we realized God had a different plan. So we made a decision to say, let's start going down that road and let God's plan be God's plan. We had to trust God when the plan changed. We couldn't just fold our arms and go, I don't like that plan. I'm going to do it our way. We said, you know what? This is an opportunity for us to partner. Let's partner. And by doing this, we're responding to God's plan because we began to love people in a very practical way. But it was God's way. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I remember the stories over the years when we started this. I remember the first year that we worked with the North Penn Boys and Girls Club. I remember talking to the director of the Boys and Girls Club that year as he and his wife dropped 10 boxes off to families in Ambler that year, telling me, Paul, we walked into apartments, 
where there were kids sitting in the apartments with jackets on because they couldn't afford heat in their apartment. And my wife and I brought them a box of food that would feed them for days. And we'd go back to our house or to our car and we would weep over the fact that there are kids in these clubs that we have and this is what they have for their Thanksgiving or their Christmas time. They don't even have heat in their house to keep their house warm. And he would thank me and he said, thank you for giving us the opportunity to open our eyes to see something we didn't even know was there. Can I tell you what we were doing? We were meeting people right where they were. We could talk about Jesus all we wanted to, but can I tell you, if your belly's hungry, you need to fill a belly before you can fill a heart. And that's important for us to know. So I remember that story. I remember the first year we went to the fundraising dinner. And my wife and I stood there, and he talked about the whole initiative. And we gave 20 boxes to them that year. And I remember him standing, saying, stand up. And he called me out, and he called our church out. And he thanked us publicly in front of 300 people. And there were three different superintendents there and a bunch of school, super, uh, school, school teachers and school directors and principals there, as well as people in the community, and said, I want to thank Bridge Community Church for pouring this into our community and for loving us. This church gets it. They understand what it means to care for people in our community. And I was in awe that we had that opportunity to get started. God's plan wasn't our plan, but we had to trust him with the changes. And we responded by loving people exactly where they were. Fast forward a few years, and I remember a story from an elementary school that came back. You see, we always give out hams, but one year we gave out two frozen turkeys because someone gave us two frozen turkeys. They're really big. They're hard to store. We always do hams, but two turkeys came in. One family put two boxes together and gave them to a local school. And I got a call that year from one of the leaders in that, in that uh, school, the guidance counselor, saying, I just want to let you know how much that blessed one of our families. They said there was a lady that we gave those boxes to this year. She came to us, and we gave her the boxes. And as a security guard was putting them in the back of her car, she was crying. And she said, I lost my job. I haven't had a job in a while. And she said, I just got a new job, but I'm not going to get paid until the beginning of next year in January. This food is going to feed my family for the next few weeks. And I'm like, that's incredible. I'm like, that was incredible. And I said, I wish I could make the connection to know who the family was that gave so that I could share that with. And she's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know the person that dropped it off, but they gave us two big boxes and two frozen turkeys. And I knew the person that had the two turkeys, so I went and I shared the story. Or I think about a few years ago as we stood here encouraging people to participate in Boxes of Love, and I said, listen, we're not doing this so that everybody walks through the doors of Bridge. We're not doing this so our church can just grow and grow and grow and say, hey, God, Boxes of Love is our key to growing this to a big church. In fact, I even publicly said, you know, if God doesn't bring one person through the doors of this church because of this ministry, I am okay with that. Can I tell you, the very next morning, a lady walked through the doors of our church, and we introduced ourselves, and she said, yeah, she goes, I just wanted to know who this church was because my family got a box this year, and um, I just want to know who this church was that was going to bless our family. And to this day, that family's still in our church. I felt like God used that as a time to just, like, like laugh at me. And say, you just said this yesterday, didn't you? And I'm like, well, you know, that's not our motivation. And he said, and if it is my motivation, are you okay with it? Because God's plan is not always my plan. You see, our motivation is just to love people where they are. And can I tell you, I've had some people over the years that refuse to participate in this. I'm not saying they're a lot or a little. I'm just saying I've had critique over the years from some people to say, I will not participate in something that is not gospel-focused, that is not teaching them about the gospel or able to share about Jesus. Because when we go into the elementary schools, you can't even put information or literature in there about inviting them to Christmas services or anything. But in the boys and girls clubs, you can do that now. You can put stuff. We can put invites to our services, and, and Bob doesn't care. He said, people need to know that there's a community of faith in our area. Spread the word and let people know. 
But can I tell you, people that have never participated in it or have a problem with it because they don't think it's gospel-focused, I think they're missing something. They're missing something, that the message of, of the gospel is not just in what we say, it's in what we, how we live. It's not just in the words that we speak, it's in the life that we live and the love that we give. And it's okay if you're in that place and you don't feel like participating, it's okay. We're still going to do it every year. Why? Because God's blessing it and he blesses people through us. So what am I saying? I'm saying we're going to end this service today in this room, but we're going to continue by responding to the word, by allowing all of you to participate and letting you guys be a part of the decorating time that we're going to do outside. So if you are helping, meaning if you are currently sponsoring a box, then we want you to take a box lid and we want you to decorate it. And if you're sponsoring a box, you can take your lid home with you today. Make sure you get a box lid that's outside, a box bottom that's outside as well. You can take the top and the bottom with, home, with you home today. Now, maybe you're here today and you're like, I want to participate in this, but I haven't signed up yet. You can decorate a box lid and you can sign up in the back right at the entrance door. There's a kiosk there and there's a lady there that's going to help you sign up right where you are at boxesoflove.org and you can sign up today and you can be a part of that. And the first service, we found out that there was only 20 boxes left to meet our first goal of 250 boxes. And if we exceed that, we can still go higher than that. So if you want to sign up today and be a part of that, be a part of it. But if you're here today and you're not in a place where you can help, I want you to know that's totally okay. You may not financially be in a place where you can do that. Maybe you're at a place where you're saying, I don't have the means to do it. We want you to serve by decorating a box for someone else. This is how we do this as a family church, as a community. We all partner together. So what I want you to do, number one, if you have children after we're done praying, I want you to go back and get your children for the sake of our kids' leaders. Okay? We want our kids to be part of this. We want you to join arms and link arms with your kids and your families and grab a box top and decorate something together and just make it a cool time for you just to have some fun together. If you're by yourself, grab a friend. If you're not sure who your friends are going to be, find someone who can be your friend and just do it with them. It doesn't matter. If you don't know who to have a friend, just do it by yourself and make a friend while they're decorating it next to you. We want families to do this together and we just want to have a lot of fun. Here's what I know. I know that Sometimes it's the very simple things that we think are not spiritual that can touch someone's life. And let's remind ourselves each and every day that if we want to live the message, we have to do it by loving people where they are the way that Jesus loves us. So would you join me in doing this today? We want every person here. You don't have to be a partner. You don't have to be a member. It could be your first Sunday here. We want you to participate and be a part of making a difference by loving our community in a practical way. Would you pray with me? Father, we just say thank you today. We give this service to you. I love you. We love you. I pray, Lord, as we decorate these box tops, Lord. God, if we decorate a box top, I pray, God, that you would share in our hearts the love that you have for the people of our community. God, may we know continually that this is not just a job. It's not just an event. It's something, Lord, that can touch people's lives right where they are. I pray, Lord, in expectation that you will bring back stories of where people have been, that you will share stories of how it's spoken and touched people's hearts. And God, that it would be the beginning of them coming to a place where they can look to us and others and say, this church loved me. They met me right where I are, right where I am. They love Jesus. What must I do to be saved? God, I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.